Good morning, Christchurch. It is great to be home and to see so many friends and to be the place where we dedicated our one-year-old son before going to Swaziland and was ordained by Dick Anderson and having the privilege to be part of this congregation from the mid-80s. And I love, Pastor Josh, your prayer. As you name the various ones, I think of the stories God has written in their lives through you as you send them out, thinking of Annie and others that have gone on and been used of the Lord to do tremendous things for the kingdom. And so uh, you have no idea of the impact you have had around the world over the years as a mission-sending church. And I want to affirm you in that as you think about the future. And so it is wonderful to be back. Well, I had the opportunity, Kathy and I, in 89, we arrived in Swaziland, and we had 20 years in Africa. Our hearts are still in Africa. We might live right now in Colorado Springs, but our hearts are in Africa. We hosted teams from the church in Swaziland and in Zimbabwe. Some, Bruce Cook, was part of that, and others may have been part of those teams. <clears throat> in the last 14 years, then, I've been working globally, first as vice president, and then now as president. And as I move through time zones and cultures, it is amazing to see how God is on the move in our world today. This morning, I'm hoping that you'll have some, be encouraged. Sometimes when we just look in our own context and watch the evening news, there are reasons to be depressed. But what is not being told in the news is what God's doing in terms of the advance of the kingdom, and it is tremendous. God is on a mission of love into our world, and he invites us to join him in it. The Great Commission truly is a great adventure. We had no idea when they laid hands on us and sent us out. We had no idea what God had in store for us. And there's no way we could have written the story he had for our lives and for us together. And yet as together we're obedient, God shows up in unique ways. And around the world, we're seeing Acts 1-8 unfolding before our very eyes, where it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. All of us have been praying. We prayed this morning for Ukraine. And what the evening news doesn't tell us is how God has been on the move in that nation since it became independent in 1989. There was this, and even prior to that, the church suffered persecution over the years, uh, over the decades. Uh, and, but there were, in 89, there was a great opening. OC was unchallenged, was engaged at that time, working alongside indigenous Ukrainian leaders, partnering with other organizations, uh, using sports ministries across the country to share the gospel with young Ukrainian athletes. I was there in Kiev. <clears throat> I was a college wrestler, and I was preaching in a church in Kiev, and I was talking about how I won, when I was a college wrestler, I wanted to compete against the, the, you know, the Europeans and the Soviets. And there was a guy that was a national champion and says, you know, afterwards says, let's take it out to the parking lot. <laughs> I said, no, that's okay. <laughs> I respect you. But in, uh, in Ukraine, thousands of leaders have been trained. Uh, there's Soviet uh, youth camps that for years trained people in atheism, young people. 150 of those have been turned into Christian camps in Ukraine. And then some over a thousand across this former Soviet empire. God is on the move in significant ways. And Ukraine is one of the mission-sending nations that's a bright light alongside Romania in Europe. 
they, we've, oh, she's been involved in starting a missions training school, and there's one near Chernobyl, the nuclear power plant. They're training missionaries, sending Ukrainians across uh, Central Asia, back into Europe and around the world. God is on the move in Ukraine. And so as you think of Christians and the people of Ukraine in the bomb shelters, just know their prayer meetings, thousands of, the, of them across the, across the country. And Christians are working boldly to share love in Jesus' name to those who are suffering and Christians across Eastern Europe and churches are stepping up to extend hospitality. And God is on the move in and from Ukraine despite horrific suffering. God sometimes is most glorified when his people love like Jesus in such times. Well, we're seeing an advance of God's kingdom. And Bruce Cook, have, uh, from perspectives, could give a better rendition than I in terms of what God's doing around the world. But I want to give a, a highlight of some of the things that are happening Every day, some 72,000 people make a decision to follow Jesus around the world. These days, missions has been very successful in many ways the last 50 years, such that there's an indigenous multiplying church in every nation under heaven. North Korea, there's a church there, underground, vibrant, <clears throat> moving forward. The fastest growing church in the world, Iran. <clears throat> I just learned that the fastest growing churches in Europe are Iranian. I know the biggest churches in Europe are pastored by Africans. And so God is really moving his people around in exciting ways. <clears throat> if you think of China, there are more followers of Jesus than there are Communist Party members. And they are committed to missions. We were in Beijing a few years ago meeting with the leaders of the Chinese missions movement called Greater China 2030. Their goal is to send out 20,000 well-trained Chinese missionaries back across the Silk Routes uh, to take the gospel from China. And that's happening all around the world. The continent with the most Christians these days is now Africa. And Latin America is not far behind. And this is changing the face of missions. As we move into the future, the composition of the global church is changing. And there's a new face of missions. Christians now worship in thousands of languages, in all kinds of cultural forms around the world, lifting Jesus up in relevant ways. The average Christian is now poor, and the average Christian now lives closer to people that have never heard about Jesus before. They're closer to the front lines. And so what we're seeing is missions becoming multidirectional from everyone to everywhere as the Great Commission is read by people uh, in South Korea. There's 20, 27,000 South Korean missionaries. We think of other parts of the world as they embrace the Great Commission, they are sending their own. And we are part of that. I was in Mongolia a few years back in Ulaanbaatar, and they are training Mongolians with the vision of sending their own Mongolian missionaries everywhere where Genghis Khan went with the sword. They want to take the sword of the spirit as missionaries. They have them in Afghanistan and various places. I think we were in uh, <clears throat> Hanoi, Vietnam, <clears throat> North Vietnam, and uh, they are training Vietnamese to go up into the unreached parts of Vietnam, places we could never go but they are boldly taking the message of Christ, and these are our teammates. My former professor, Paul Pearson, a professor of missions history at Fuller, says this. He says, the Christian mission is now being communicated by more men and women coming from more diverse racial, cultural, and national groups than any other message in history. Now, a lot of our time and attention as a family has been given to Africa, and uh, the big challenge in Africa is to go north from the Christianized sub-Saharan 
Africa to the uh, more unreached, thousand unreached people groups in the north of Africa. And uh, people, there's like in Nigeria, there are 5,000 Nigerians that are missionaries today. And they're going up into the difficult areas of their country and beyond. Some 2,300 believers were killed in Nigeria last year for their faith. And I've been online maybe 15 hours, 12 to 15 hours over the last two weeks with Africans across the continent discussing strategic um, issues in the mobilization of the church. And there was one leader who had served in these very difficult areas, planning churches. And he said this, he said, it is not the absence of danger that is the issue, but the presence of God. And as he challenged his fellow Africans to go where the, the gospel, it's hard to share the gospel because of persecution. He said, it's better to share the gospel on the front lines than to be out of God's will in the comfort of home, African to African. These are our teammates. There's a lot of courage out there that God is engendering in the church. And Africa is going global. One of my good buddies is Yemi Mabaladi. He's an African that came as a student to the States. He's from Nigeria, Lagos, a pastor's kid. And uh, the Lord, when he was here, called him to plant a church in our city of Colorado Springs and start a restaurant. He's an entrepreneur, tent maker. The restaurant became very successful, and so he started a good neighbor's coffee shop. And uh, the church began to flourish. And the Lord gave this Nigerian a vision of pulling churches together across our city. And he began with three churches. And today, now 100 churches come together in Colorado Springs. I love you. It's a city transformation movement. And 3,000 people show up to serve Afghan refugees and others across the city. And it began with a Nigerian missionary to our city. And when I tell that story in Africa, they just rise up and cheer because one of their own is making an impact. And uh, these are our teammates. God's on the move in Southeast Asia, uh, as he is in many parts of the world through disciple-making movements, rapidly multiplying small groups of believers, meeting in homes, under trees, uh, in schools, groups that are producing groups. And, and so far, in the last 20 years, we've seen 80 million people around the world come to Christ in very difficult places uh, through disciple-making movements. One example of this is a young drug runner in Southeast Asia. He went with his buddies from island to island by a boat, dealing drugs. He was trying to earn his way through school. Eventually, he got arrested, wound up in jail. And in his particular culture or city, when you land up in jail, you have to be assigned a mentor. And so he didn't know who to go to, and he heard about this guy, and so this he asked his guy to mentor him, a friend of a friend. He came in and happened to be a disciple, make, a disciple maker, one of, an O.N.O.C. associate there. And over time, he led him to Christ and helped him get free of his drug addiction. And then he was eventually released from jail, and he kind of lost touch for a few months. And then eventually, word came back that this guy was back on the drug routes. And he, and, but there was, a, there was good news to the story. He was now not dealing drugs. He was sharing Jesus as he was going from island to island with those old buddies. Pretty soon, 25 of his friends came to Christ, and they began together to go and share in those communities where they had dealt drugs. They were sharing the Lord. Today, that young man's life, Darius, was what we call him, has multiplied into 2,000 believers in five unreached people groups on 11 islands and two nations. And we're finding that some of the best church planners are former drug runners or pirates. <laughs> and I'm serious. This comes from our leaders on the field. People that are, know what it is to embrace risk for the gospel. They're, being, they're, they're Saul's that are becoming Paul's, and God is on the move.
He's on the move in Latin America. We were in um, Beirut, Kathy and I, and we met a Latino worker. He's an Argentinian soccer coach and uh, married to a wife who was a translator. And they were called, um, didn't go with any organization, but God just put it in their hearts to go to the toughest places on earth. So they began their work living in an Afghan refugee camp in New Delhi. And after about five years of living in the refugee camp and being treated like a refugee, they went to the Kashmir area, started a soccer school. 3,000 people became part of the soccer school, so much so that the, um, the rebel leaders weren't happy that their young soldiers would be learning soccer and not how to use you know, weaponry. And so they tried to poison them. So eventually they had to move. So they, where did they go next? Kabul, Afghanistan, sharing Christ, using soccer. And he raised up a national soccer team in Afghanistan. And it was like they went to a regional tournament in Dubai. And it was like the Jamaican bobsled team. They, no one thought they would do anything. But they're on national TV in Afghanistan. And eventually they made their way through to the championship. And they were going against the Dubai team. And the Taliban is in the stands rooting for this Christian coach along with his Afghan players. And it was amazing that they won. And then the, way, the nation just went into an uproar, and the Taliban are clapping for him and, and take him out for lunch afterwards. And this is an open follower of Jesus who loves soccer and is using coach, coaching for the kingdom. God is on the move. We met him as he was going into another country that was recently ripped apart by war. And uh, we said, how? this is crazy what you and your wife and your kids are doing. Uh, how do you do this? He's, and he said, we know we should go to the greatest need. And God is raising up people like that around the world, and he's been doing that over the centuries. Around the world, we see ordinary believers moving across national and cultural barriers to share the hope they found in Jesus. And this is exactly the dynamic we see in the book of Acts. Now, Acts chapter 1 to 6 describes the spread of the faith among Jews in Jerusalem and Judea. Chapter 6 to 8 describe the expansion to Samaria. And then chapters 9 to the end deal with the spread of the gospel to the ends of the, wor- the, the world, primarily among non-Jews. And so today, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at how God used ordinary men to catalyze a movement in the city of Antioch. So thank you, Pastor Josh, for reading. We'll just go verse by verse very briefly through here. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Now, in the previous chapters of Acts, the believers in Jerusalem had been rocked by persecution. They were ostracized. Some lost their jobs. They were pushed out of their families. And many of them went 300 miles north to Antioch. And when they put down, they began sharing their faith, but they shared amongst people that were just like themselves. People that liked the same kind of food, spoke the same kind of language, that married the same, you know, married your kids out to the same kinds of people uh, among the Jewish believers there. Um, but the Jews were only, the Jewish population was only about 5% of the population of Antioch. Antioch had about half a million people there amongst them. And 95% of the people weren't being reached. And amongst them were Arabs and Romans and Semitics and Greeks and Persians, and historians say even a few from India and China because of the trade routes. And so they were hitting the 5% and ignoring the 95%. So let's continue. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, 
telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. As you know, Cyprus is an island in the Mediterranean, and Cyrene is a section of Libya. And the Lord laid it on people's hearts from a distance to, to go to Antioch because God was up to something. One scholar suggests that it may have been eight to ten years between the first wave and the second wave into Antioch. And when they came, they brought a different perspective. I can imagine them walking through the Greek and the Arab quarters of the city and saying, where are the believers? Where are the churches? They're all over cloistered here. God, what do you want to do? And they were probably praying, Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in these areas too. And God began to give them a vision. Which brings me to the point that people who move with God align with what he's doing. These unnamed adventurers, they put their their ear down to God's heart and heard that heart and felt it beating for the people that had yet to be reached in that, those other sections of the city. Now, note that they were not apostles. They hadn't been to seminary. They weren't trained. They were ordinary men at taking the gospel to others who didn't yet know Jesus, but they were willing to dream of what could be. So what's the challenge we face today? Today, 70,000 people die on average without Christ every day. In India alone, there's 495,000 villages that have no Christian witness whatsoever. There's 7,400 unreached people groups and approximately 3 billion people around us today, this very day, right now, have seldom have ever heard the name of Jesus. That is a third of a humanity, a third of us. And if we think about justice issues, That is the greatest injustice of them all, that they don't have an opportunity to hear about Jesus in a way they can understand and respond to. But we serve a God who has a big heart for those who have never heard, and no one is beyond the reach of his love. I think I met with the ambassador of Bahrain about three or four weeks ago, talking about tolerance in his nation right off of Saudi Arabia, and recognizing that there's about... 200,000 Filipino Christians working across the Middle East. These are nannies that are praying over these babies as they put them to bed. And they're praying over households as they prepare meals and clean homes. God's people are ever there. Sri Lankan mechanics, mechanics that love Jesus and others that are working in these parts of the world. God is moving in unusual ways. Well, let's continue. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, and then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This brings us to another point. People who move with God invite God's blessing through their obedience. I really love the role that Barnabas plays when there's news that reaches Jerusalem of this new movement that is underway. Who would they send? They send an encourager, a team builder, a mentor that can build others up, and he accelerated the movement through his encouragement. Well, the movement 
continued to expand. It wasn't one huge church. It wasn't an edifice. What we're talking about is house churches. And as the, the meeting grew in a house and now grew the living room, it would spill over to another house. And pretty soon there was a network of house churches across Antioch, much as like what we, we would see with the underground church in China. Well, their growing influence in the city was making an impact, so much so that their detractors gave them the name, first of all, as Christians, Christ's ones. And by 325 AD, it was estimated that there were about 200,000 Christians living in Antioch. The movement continued to, to grow and to spread. This is a picture of Puve Dozo. The most dangerous drive Kathy and I ever had in the world was in Nagaland after dark with no headlights and logging trucks and crazy stuff. He was a son. He grew up in his era when his tribe was still headhunting. The last 67 heads were taken in 1967 when he was a teenager. And uh, to, you know, the Lord moved in that tribe, and a million came to Christ in the 1970s. And then in the 1980s, there was a move for other nations, other peoples, and they set a goal to send out 10,000 Naga into the world. And Osu was asked to help them start a training center, and Puve has been uh, at the, the head of that. Again, one of our teammates. Well, let's continue. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This, in many ways, was the first international aid effort. The believers in Antioch learned of a crisis involving people most of them had never met, living in a country most would never see, and yet they recognized God's prompting in their heart and realized that they could make a difference, just like you have been sending missionaries out over the decades and continue to impact not only the ends of the earth, but right here at home. They recognized the same, and working together, they became good news beyond their borders. I was in Cape Town at Lausanne, uh, 2010. Bruce, you may have been there. And uh, one of my friends, Joshua Boganjuku, he heads a significant mission organization. He got a phone call that none of us that are mission leaders ever want to get. One of his workers had passed away in South Sudan. I've gotten that phone call this last year three times. It's been very difficult. We lost two people to COVID. A Brazilian missionary worker, it was a week before he was to retire and come back to the States. He got it and died. And uh, we did his funeral. Uh, uh, one of Puve Dozo's uh, workers in Nagaland passed, a sports ministry guy that introduced sports ministries to Nagaland, and then a car accident. It's not fun to get those calls. So Joshua, as he tells the story, one of, it was an Ethiopian missionary couple, and they'd gone to South Sudan to share the Lord, to plant churches to help encourage the Sudanese. And this, the, the husband took ill, and he died of cerebral malaria, as has happened to people I've known. Uh, well, they, they chartered a flight, a missionary airplane. They went in and got the body. And you can imagine how the, the widow felt with the, the mission leader that came in and flew his um, body back to Addis. And then they got into a car, loaded it into a station wagon, the casket. And they, they began the long drive to the village where he was from, that it had sent him out. 
them out. And as um, they neared the village, word had gotten out, and the, the Christian villagers aligned the dirt road, and they began to clap and cheer for, for them that came back for their, their own, that had given his life for the gospel and, and, and affirmed the widow. And as they had the funeral service, they were talking, and, and one of the leaders said, many people came to Ethiopia, and they gave their lives for us. This is our own seed for the gospel. And as they conferred together, they said, we've got to do something. We have to send another couple. But it was not during the harvest. They didn't have much money. They didn't know how they were going to figure that out. And so they prayed and they talked and they said, we know what we're going to do. Let's all of us as church members go down to the mission hospital. We're going to donate our blood. And with the proceeds, we will send the next couple. And so they said, the money we gather will use to send another missionary. As long as we have blood, we have something to give for the gospel. These are our teammates. And there's people like that all around the world that are sharing Christ and seeing God show up in unusual ways. Well, today we have the same mandate that Jesus gave to those disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And thankfully, we are not alone We're part of this diverse, multinational, multicultural army of believers that want to live love boldly in Jesus' name. And as each one does its part, we can see the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're not that far away from the gospel being presented to every person in every place as we continue to bridge over barriers. So in closing, let me just share some practical ways that you can partner to touch the world. First of all, learn more about what God's doing around the world. Study what the Bible has to say about God, the Missio Dei, the mission of God, and what that means for us locally and around the world. uh, You can also, as you read the news, take the Perspectives course, read mission books. There's lots of great resources that can help you understand this bigger picture God is up to around us. Next week in praying, as you watch the evening news, Think of what God is doing, whether it's Afghanistan or Syria or you name it. God is on the move in those places. He has his people. We need to pray with them and for them. I like to receive daily reminders from Operation World to pray for a different nation or unreached people group around the world. Thirdly, we can welcome. Welcome those that have come to live amongst us. 21% of all global migrants live in the U.S. And many of them are Christians. We need to help them help us to reach our own communities for Christ and welcome them. We've had meetings with African missionaries to the U.S. and African-American and other uh, church leaders saying, how can we do this better together uh, in in the U.S.? And you, you work with them. You walk by them on the sidewalks. We can use and extend the gift of hospitality to those that live among us. Many unreached people groups also are amongst them. I think it's 361 Unreached people groups have come to live in the U.S. amongst us, and we can do something about that. We can go. As some of you have gone to Mexico, you've gone to Swazi, Zimbabwe, other places, we would encourage you to go. And Jonathan, we've been talking at some point about maybe a short-term team from the church to go out again, but we would encourage you to do so through whatever means the Lord provides for you. And finally, I would encourage you to send. 
I was 24 years old when the church took me as a man, total novice. I was so scared. First time I stood up here, just I was literally shaking the first few times. And uh, Dick Anderson, the former pastor, was so encouraging to me. But this church believed in me as a 20-something. And they believed that God could do something in Kathy and in my life. And others like us, the Reardons who were sent out to Japan, the Britons who were sent out, and others that were sent out, you have believed in sending your own out. So the challenge would be, who would the Lord be raising up right now? Putting his finger on that person's heart right here in this congregation that he would say, maybe in two years, five years, 10 years, I want you to go. And we as a congregation can act as senders. Well, in closure, I love this quote from John Piper who says, Lord, let me make a difference for you that is utterly disproportionate to who I am. And as we surrender absolutely to him, as we align with him on mission in our world near and afar, God will amaze us with the story that he writes through our lives individually, as a church, and through those that we send out to the uttermost parts. This is the reality in the church in Antioch, and it's God's desire for us today. Let's move with God and see him and join him in his move of love to our world. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you're doing around the world. Uh, we know it's not easy, but Lord, Jesus never promised easy. He did promise fruitfulness as we obey you and, and let the Spirit fill us and move through us. So Lord, would you touch our CCSM missionaries around the world and give us a vision, each one of us, for what you're doing locally and further afield. And Lord, may you honor yourself in increasing measure through our church and raise up young men and women, finishers that are finishing their careers that want to go out. Others, Lord, raise us up and use us in ways that um, bring us in just to a sense of awe of who you are. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.